Well, good morning. My name is Marie Lancaster. My husband and I, Duke, we have been vineyard pastors for 30 years in the vineyard. And uh, we go back to 1992 is when we came in to the movement. This was not an expected course for our lives. Um, a friend of ours likes to say God is a dream wrecker. And he intercepted my wonderful plan for my life and our lives and took us out of a corporate career path. And you see, you, you, I need to explain this to you. This will give you an insight really into my character. I grew up in an AG preacher's home. Both my father and my grandfather were AG pastors, church planters. We were Hungarians, which means we were an extraordinarily loud family. Duke thought that he was always in a constant war zone around the dinner table. If you, if you need an association, if you know actual Italians, it's the same kind of event. Anyway, so my goal was I loved, I am not one of those pastor's kids who had the horror stories. I loved growing up in the home that I did. I loved Jesus. I loved the Father. I loved the Holy Spirit. And I said, I will do anything in this world you want me to do at 17 except. <laughs> and I was even willing to be a missionary. You know, missionaries, that's cool. But I didn't want to be a at that point in time, was not in my framework that I would be ordained or anything, but I did not want to be a pastor's wife. You know why? Not because of the people. I wanted money. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's just one of those laughs that you can only truly appreciate if you've ever been in ministry. And so I had this wonderful plan for my life that I knew. My dream was to go to school, then go on to law school, and then to become the Senate, U.S. Senator from the great state of Indiana and be up in Washington, D.C. Yeah, Hoosiers. And, and, you know, be part of the process in everything. I just, one, because I love to argue, I mean debate, have intense discussions, make a difference. And then God intercept, I met, and you know what? And then I met Duke at Oral Roberts University. And when I realized, when God said, this is the guy you're going to marry, I was like, oh, thank you. That's awesome. This will be the last person on the planet who would even consider going into ministry. <laughs> he is so not geared for that. That is so not on his framework. You know, this was like 1982 when we got married and we were going to be the young urban professionals with all the money, all the toys, serve Jesus, active in the church, do all that stuff. And we were going and rocking along pretty good until 1991. And God took Duke on a mission trip to Colombia during the days of the cartel and Pablo Escobar. And God said, this is what you're for, Duke. And he called me up at 1 a.m. And, of course, when you get a call from 1 a.m. in the U.S. and your husband's down in Columbia, you're thinking, oh, somebody's asking for ransom. So sorry, out of luck. <laughs> I already told, I told Duke when he left, the insurance policy is in force. The kids and I will be fine. <laughs> I'm not bailing you out. That's right, but unconditional support. I'm behind you all the way.
I said, don't get killed. But he calls me up and he, he's, he's so excited. I've never heard my husband sound like this. And he was just rattling out. He was talking. Okay, he's from Mississippi. Mississippians don't talk fast. Midwesterners do. Right, Sue? But he was talking so fast. I couldn't understand a word he was saying except for this. I know what I'm for. I know what I'm for. I know what I'm for. And I went, oh, that's nice. All right, I'll see you when you get home. And I laid, I, I hung up the phone by the bed. This is when you had phones that you kept by your bed. And I said, I just rolled over and I went, oh, God, what have you done? And he gets home. And in six months, we're part of a new church plant in the area called a Vineyard Church. What in Lord's name was that? Weird people. Good music, but weird people. <laughs> of which I am one. And never look back. We found what we were for. And so it's really a great honor and pleasure to be with you this weekend and especially this morning. Now, again, in, in 2021, God interrupted what I thought was a great ministry plan <laughs> and uh, had us transition out of a church that we had planned to retire from in Mississippi and said, I want you to sell everything literally everything, and by downsize from a 3,300-square-foot home to a 400-square-foot motor home, and I'm sending you out again. And your mandate is to go wherever I send you and, and encourage and equip and train and love and first the leaders and then the people in my kingdom and tell them what I tell you to say. So this morning, I have a word for you that I think, that I know is for the church, it's for the Big C Church, but it's, you're part of the Big C Church, the church global, the bride of Christ. And so this is a word that, you know, you were singing this morning, and I love, I have to be careful because I love to sing and I have a power voice, and I have been known to get so caught up singing that I blow my voice before I get up to speak. Oh, I sound like, you know, female Joe Cocker when I get up. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit kept telling me, don't sing so hard, pull it back or whatever. But I loved hearing, when we got to that song, all the songs, I was really hearing and sensing your engagement with the Lord and with Holy Spirit as he was breathing life into what you were doing as you were honoring the Lord. But when you got to that song, Let It Rain, you wouldn't let it die because you're hungry. Not only are you hungry for more of him, you are hungry to do what it is He's left us here to do. If it was all just about salvation, let's face it, when you accepted Jesus in your life, in the most sense, logical sense to me, would have been, we'll just take you home now. Right? But it, it's so much more than that. It's about the extravagant love of God, who wants, whose will it is that no one should miss out. No one should go into a full eternity without being in the presence of God their Father, without being restored to perfect relationship with him. And so he leaves us here to continue the work that Jesus started. And so we are here because our mandate as humanity was what? 
go into all, go out, rule your image bearers, likeness bearers of me, and bring my order into chaos and let my will be done on the planet. And there are some things that he said that are important for us to revisit. And one of those, the word for this year that I got for the church is this. If you want to see me come and move among you and move upon this planet like you, your heart longs to desire to do, then one of the things we have to rediscover is what it means to honor. Duke and I travel, literally travel the world. We have been in seven continents in the last 18 months, six continents in the last 18 months, a whole lot of churches, conferences, and everything. And I love experiencing new cultures that I've never been in before. And there's some big differences in how culturally people interact and relate to each other. And in a lot of the Eastern and and uh, those cultures in the African continent, even in South America, honor is a really big deal to them. In fact, it's such a big deal that I would get so uncomfortable coming in as the guest speaker. And they were just, you know, you sit here, you sit here. And it's like, you know, oh, let me carry that for you. And as I'm like, no, don't do that. I can take care of myself. I can do it myself. You don't have to do that. And they would look at me and they'd go, oh, no. We wouldn't dream of not serving you and showing you the honor that you're due. And I kept doing the U.S. thing and particularly the vineyard thing. You know, we want to be just normal, ordinary people. And, man, the Holy Spirit had to, he got me one day and he said, what are you doing? This isn't for them. This is for you. There's a lesson I want you to learn. And it's about honor. Because if we want to effectively reach the world, we have to continue to grow and become who it is he says we are and to live out the culture of the kingdom of God. Not our American culture, not an Asian culture, not a white culture, not a black culture, not a Hispanic culture. Those are all great. He doesn't ask us to lose our, our cultural heritage and identity. But anything that preempts the culture of the kingdom of God is not what we are called to. Because the kingdom of God is not opposed to all of that. The kingdom of God is other than that. It is other And anything that conflicts with the values and the lifestyle in the heart of God in the culture we were literally born into is what our first allegiance and responsibilities and who we are, and that is what we're supposed to live out. And it's because it is so other, it will be the thing that attracts and at least makes people question, what is that? What is that? Even if they don't like it, it will still be noticeable because what the culture and the kingdom is and is wrapped in completely is what Jesus said this. The other people, everyone else will know you're my disciples, my family, my people by what? How you love each other. 
And how does love look in the kingdom of God when it comes to relationships? So I want us to go to Romans chapter 12. And before you bring up the slide, <laughs> I didn't catch it quick. It's okay. It doesn't matter. I'm going to add a few verses at the beginning that I want you to go to. I want you to go to Romans 12.1. Now, I'm reading in the Passion Translation. I love the translation because it is coming from the perspective of the love and the grace of God. I think it, and it's a really good scholarly translation. So I want you to hear this, and I'm going to start out. And Paul, I mean, this is Paul's big, I mean, Paul was a lawyer. That's why he's so wordy, why sometimes it's hard to understand. He's a lawyer. That's what I wanted to be. But no, I'm up here. <laughs> and he has gone through, and he's laid all this out. And then by the end of chapter 11, he is going... He's, he's given this whole thing, uh, comparing the law and the new covenant and all this kind of stuff. And he gets to chapter 12, and he's going to ask this question in 12.1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? 1 through 11 is laying out God's marvelous mercies. So what's our response to that? He says, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, meaning set apart other than experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship to him. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Whatever that culture is. Because that's no longer who we are. What defines us, what informs us, what our experience is limited to. But be inwardly transformed by Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Your spirit is made new, but the soul and the mind are not. It's in process now. We've been literally reborn. We have to unlearn so many things that culture and our experience has taught us and what we think so that we can begin to live out who it is we really are. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. A beautiful life. Not a limited life, but a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Now, the next section, he's going to talk about our, how we've been created and our role in the whole. We each have a destiny and a purpose and a part to play. But I want to go down to about what those that transformed person of who we are, how that plays out in relationships, in transformed relationships. So drop down to nine, and that you can put on the screen. So in light of God's extravagant mercies, as Paul opened this part, let the inner movement of your heart always, always, always be to what? I love interaction. I don't ask rhetorical questions. You can even heckle me from the audience. I don't care. I love it. Yes. 
I'm at home. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family because that's who we are. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. This is the only place where we're told to be competitive with each other. You laugh. It's true. We Americans are a competitive people. Lord knows, I've lived in the SEC most of my adult life. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me we're not competitive. All you have to go to are the fields on a weekday night or a Saturday or even now on Sunday and find out how competitive parents are with their children. My husband coached baseball for years, and it was the parents I had issues with. Anyway... Don't tell me we're not competitive, but what we, we're told to lay down our lives and lay ourselves down and prefer one another and everything. But in this, we're told, outdo each other in respect and honor. Be devoted to tender. Okay, number 11. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him this is life before holy spirit this is life after holy spirit above and beyond it's not boring trust me let this hope burst forth within you releasing a continual joy don't give up in a time of trouble but commune with god at all times take a constant interest in the needs of god's beloved people and to respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Thank you, Josh. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Weep with those who grieve. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others. But be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Believe me, I did at 21. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others and do your best to live as everybody's friend, and I'm going to stop there. I want to go back to verse 10. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. I don't know if you've realized this. Our culture has kind of gotten testy. Not very nice. Not very kind. And nice and kind are not the same thing. We've gotten to the point where it has almost, well, I'm not going to say almost, it's become a cultural value to be cynical, sarcastic, and I don't know if you've heard this, but cancel somebody out by your opinion that can now go out to the world without too much repercussion. 
And unfortunately, those of us in the family of God have participated in it. We've got caught up in defending my viewpoint and gone from a civil discourse to a canceling of the person as an individual. And that is not who we are to be. That's not what's in us to be in the kingdom family. That is not the heart of our Father. That is not what Jesus displayed as we have the written records, even with the political system he lived in. You think our political system can be rough? Try living in Rome under a Caesar, especially Nero, or under Pol Pot, or a dictator in one of the countries in Africa, or a cartel. And yet even in the midst of that, Jesus calls us to honor, to honor human beings. The first thing we need to understand is what a biblical God's definition of honor is, and it is this. There is a slide for this. The literal definition is giving weight to something, like in the weight of coins or gold. What are you willing to pay for this? What is the value you place on this object or person? You evaluate by the value weight of it or them. And God is asking us, do you generally, do you genuinely, do I genuinely give weight and value to people? And it's hard to do when they're not nice, unkind. Don't think like I do. Don't look like I do. Don't live like I do. But honor means to demonstrate high respect or great esteem for someone. I love how Bill Johnson from Bethel states it this way. He says, a culture of honor, which is what we are called to live in, celebrates who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. Can we read that again? A culture of honor celebrates who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. And I think Jesus lived that out. Right? And the good news is we can too. A good question to ask is, well, then who should I honor? Who's worthy of giving honor to? And I think the Bible lays it out pretty clearly. First reason why we're told we should give honor to another human being is because they are made in the image and likeness of God. Even if it's fractured. And I got news for you. I've been a Christian in a long time, and I'm still fractured in some spots in my thinking, in my soul how I live out life. But your value, my value is based on I am made in his image and likeness, the almighty eternal God who created everything and everyone, who knew every person before they were born or knitted in their mother's womb, who had a destiny and has a destiny for every living person on this planet, whether they come into agreement with it in acknowledgement in a relationship with them or not. God says, I see me 
in you. You are worthy of honor. Value weight. This one's the big one. Ever question it? Go to the table. Look at the wall. Jesus died for all. Capital A, capital L, capital L, period. I came for all past, present, and future. My mercy and my grace, my forgiveness is available to all. And that makes you worthy of honor. That's how much you're valued. Third thing, another reason. God has given in his design of humanity unique graces, gifts, abilities, so that we can all contribute to society as a whole. We each have a part to play. That middle part of Romans 12, Paul's saying we all have a role, a specific design, a specific piece, and nothing is inferior to the other. You know who the most important person is on a submarine? The person who takes care of the garbage. Think about it. Let your nose do the thinking. <laughs> the doctors in the room going, yeah, the disease and everything that can come out from not properly. There is no insignificant part to play. And that is worthy of honor. And this one, we especially honor other believers because they have the same Holy Spirit in them that is in me, that is in you. Same presence of God with us. See, here's the truth. Everybody on the planet is worthy of at least the first three. Made in his image. Jesus died for all, and they have unique abilities and gifts that set us apart completely from the rest of creation. Why do we honor? Because this is who we're called to be. We're image bearers, likeness bearers of Daddy, of Jesus, of Holy Spirit. That's who they are, and that's who... You can tell if you get to know a family kind of what their values are and what they're going to kind of be like, and that's what you learn as you grow up within that family. And our family is a divine family. This is why we honor. The Bible says who? We're to honor everyone in First Peter 2.17 and not just those who we feel deserved. See, there's a difference between respect and honor. Honor is given because of the value of the person inherent in them for being. Respect is given. That's an earned based on character, integrity, what they do, who they, what they're living out. But honor is given no matter what. For example, in our country, we have two major holidays that have suddenly become very complicated over the last couple decades, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Those were days set aside to show honor to our parents, 
And it's become difficult because we have to acknowledge that for many, that was not a good growing up experience. They didn't have the kind of parents God intended us for, for us to be. And so we acknowledge that and we say it's not, we try not to just limit about honoring the physical birth mother or father, but all of those who play that role, which is good, in our lives, who take at moments, you know, God never abandons us, leaves us without someone or somebody to fill in those roles. But it's become so difficult to honor because we we can only, we've been taught that you base it on the performance. And God says, honor is not about performance. It's about who I say they are and recognizing their inherent value for their being. That's why human life is the most precious life on the planet. We're also told to honor those in authority. Ouch. In Romans 13, 1 through 7. And remember, Paul wrote this during the time of being a conquered people with no rights unless you were a Roman citizen. But in circumstances where that would be so, I can't honor them. Do you know how evil they are? In our culture, let's bring it up. Politics. I don't pastor a church anymore, so you can't fire me. But I'm telling, I'm telling us, we did not represent well in the last election cycle, the last few. We have placed an idolatry of patriotism above the loyalty of who we are supposed to be as kingdom people. There are no political parties in the kingdom of God. One doesn't make you more righteous or less righteous than another. Because we have differing worldviews, right? We learned this weekend and how we're designed and created. We see different aspects of even the same thing. And the reality is we need a differing aspect because that opens up better viewing of how God sees the whole. We tend to see in one dimension and God sees in at least four. And we need the diversity of perspective. But we can only do that if we truly honor. Doesn't matter who you voted for, who you didn't vote for. We honor the office of the president for the sake of that role. And we as kingdom people, as sons and daughters, ought to be the first modeling that. We should never be the ones who slip into, instead of saying, I disagree with that idea, to I disagree with you and you even being. You want to know what breaks the heart of our Father? It's when our words and our actions bring death instead of his life. And that's not who we really are. God is calling us up to who we are really meant to be and live out and model to the rest of the world so that we can bring, by the power of the Holy Spirit, justice where there is injustice. It has always been those of faith in God who have been the ones to start 
correcting those areas where there has been injustice and it needs to have justice. It was Christians who started universities, Christians who started hospitals, who start works to minister to the poor and the underprivileged and those on the fringe and the outcasts. Have we done it perfectly? No. We're all still learning and growing. We have to be able to acknowledge our mistakes where we were wrong and how we approached it and how we did it, but still doesn't take away from the fact that God is also looking at the whole and he says, well done. Have you read in Hebrews 11? You know, we call it this great chapter of faith and the list of people in there. And God goes, these were great people of faith who followed me. There were murderers in there. Prostitutes, exactly. I know their stories. The one that cracks me up is because I can identify as Sarah. She believed God and she gave birth to a son in her old age. Sarah laughed when she heard that. She goes, no way. What? And yet when God writes our story, he looks at the whole, not at the individual event. We have a do-over coming up. And we want to display and live out a life that shows honor to every human being on the planet, to our neighbor next door, to the person who is panhandling at the corner and you don't want to catch their eye. But in the catching and looking them straight in the eye, acknowledging you are worth value. You are worthy of being seen. I honor you. This is what we're called to. Others were specifically commanded to honor in the Bible include, thank you, Jesus, the elderly. I earned every white hair that you don't see. Thank God for L'Oreal. <laughs> and our church leaders. Don't allow the actions of a few destroy the worth and the value and the honor of the whole. Those who are church leaders are put in a position, they answer a call to take the role of mother and father of a local church family. And they are given the responsibility and held responsible for all of our individual health and growth. That we are in a safe environment to grow up into who we're really meant to be. To provide direction. To sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sometimes so much. Don't then we don't do it begrudgingly, but willingly, because we have found what we are for. We have found the pearl of great price that's worth selling everything for. Because compared to Jesus, compared to the kingdom, compared to God, there's nothing else that even can remotely come close. And it is the most amazing life of freedom and wholeness. It is 
everything. I'm going to read you something just because I can. Let's go to, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 5, and this is regarding church leadership. Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is his pastoral letter to a church leader. The pastors who lead the church well should be paid well. They should receive double honor for faithfully preaching and teaching the revelation of the word of God. For the scriptures have taught us, now remember, when Paul's referencing scripture, he's referencing the Old Covenant writings. Do not muzzle an ox or forbid it to eat while it grinds the grain. And also, the one who labors deserves his wages. Refuse to listen to suspicious accusation against the pastors who lead the flock unless you have two or three witnesses to confirm the accusations. Don't listen to idle gossip and don't be part of it. It's divination equated to witchcraft. But if indeed you find that they have sinned, we can bring correction. There's a process for that. They deserve double honor. 